Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Sponsoring today's show is FreshBooks, an online service that can help make everyday invoicing and accounting easier for you. You can try your hand at it today with a free 30-day trial that's being offered to all of our listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com slash PDOcast and make sure you enter PDOcast in the How You Heard About Us box to get started. Also sponsoring today's show is SeatGeek. SeatGeek takes all the grunt work out of buying and selling tickets to sporting events and concerts by pulling all the tickets listed on various different websites and alerting you of the best deals available. It can come in particularly handy with the NHL playoffs just around the corner because now is pretty much as good of a time as any to see if you can get into the building for a reasonable price. Uh, if you haven't been to a playoff game yet in your life, I'd highly recommend doing so. The vibe is like night and day when you compare it to the 82-game grind that's the regular season marathon, and uh, it can get especially especially good if you're there to witness an, an overtime game or a game that's really close down to the wire because you're pretty much just sitting on the edge of your seat the entire time uh, kind of at the whim of the bounce of a puck and um, SeatGeek's providing a $20 rebate to all of our listeners for using their platform so just to claim that reward you all you really got to do is download the free SeatGeek app and then you just go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter PDO uh, after that SeatGeek's going to send you those $20 once you've gone ahead and made your first ticket purchase with them and and it's really that simple. So all you've got to do is download the free SeatGeek app, enter the promo code PDO, and you can find yourself enjoying the playoff season like never before. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Hey, always good to be here. Uh, last time I had you on, a couple listeners mentioned that you sound an awful lot like uh, ESPN baseball writer Keith Law. So I went back and listened to uh, the show we did. I guess it was like about a month ago now, and it really is an uncanny comparison. I don't know if you've ever heard it before from any of your other uh, radio hits you've done. No, I've never heard that uh, that comparison. Yeah, no, it's 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 it's, un- it's uncanny. Now you uh, you got to go back and listen to some Keith Law interviews because it sounds just like you. It's it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, I guess I will. Um, okay, so we've got just, uh, I think, a- about exactly a month of the season left now, and um, there's obviously going to be some jostling for position, and the Avs and the Wild are still con- continuing their battle for the final wildcard spot out west, and the Flyers are making a run here late, and that could make things interesting over there. But for the most part, we've seen nearly 70 games worth of data now for pretty much every team, and I think that 
barring some sort of unforeseen event or a catastrophic injury, which we'll get to later, which we've already sort of seen that kind of threw us for a loop. Um, I think we, for the most part, know who's legitimately good and who isn't. So I thought it'd be a fun exercise if we brought you in here and we um, sort of just broke down the teams we consider legitimate contenders for the Stanley Cup moving forward. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so uh, the the first grouping that I I, I have is sort of the the quote unquote fringe teams, and these are teams that I think that if everything fell into place, like they could conceivably make a long run just because they are really competitive and they do have, they each have their own strong suits they can fall back on. But at the end of the day, I just like look at the landscape as a whole and I can't really see them winning more than a series, maybe two. And the teams that I had in this group were the blues, the predators and the Rangers. Uh, what do you think about that? I, I do wonder a bit about the, well, the thing with the Rangers is if you have Henrik Lundqvist, excuse me, sorry, and uh, sometimes that's all you need to go on a long playoff run. Yeah. Um, the Blues, I think, are a team that's probably entering the playoffs uh, overrated. Uh, you look at their goal differential, you look at, they're not a, they're, they're a team that, uh, and they're in a very competitive division. Mm-hmm. They're not a team that I like for a long run. Yeah. Uh, Nashville. Nashville, I wonder about a little bit because Nashville's been a very good possession team all year. And for most of the season, Pekka Rene has not given them good goaltending. No. And it seems like when he's given them good goaltending, they've won. And he's done that for a little while now. So they're a team I'd be... They're, they're kind of my dark horse pick. Like of all mm. the teams that nobody nobody thinks is def, is, is going to have a shot at it, they're the team that in the back of my mind I go, well, maybe... Right. But, uh, yeah, you're probably right that they're not a not a serious contender, but uh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Nashville. Well, I like the Preds a lot. I mean, their skaters, their skater group makes a lot more sense now that they brought Johansson in, right? It's it's obviously the actual yeah. direct effect of Johansson being uh, a, a top of the top flight goal scorer is one thing, but it's sort of allowed everything else to fall into place. Where, uh, like Mike Fisher, for example, gets to move down to the third line instead, and then uh, Mike Ribeiro's second line, and and Philip Forsberg maybe has. Has a little bit less kind of uh, def- defensive pressure on him where the other team is constantly keying in on him and that's allowed him to go off in the past few weeks here and I like that group a lot and on D they haven't really missed Seth Jones at all like I wonder how many teams in the league there are that can even though he wasn't necessarily logging a huge amount of minutes there aren't very many teams that can probably take a guy that is playing sort of in their top four and doing well at it and just remove him from the equation and not really miss a beat but I guess that kind of speaks to the immense depth they have there and how just how good guys like Ekholm and Ellis are, uh, have been. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking was we're really going to see, well, hopefully we'll see Ryan Ellis start to get the credit he deserves because when you talk about Nashville's defense, a lot of times in recent years it's been Yossi, Weber, and Jones, mm-hmm. and Ryan Ellis has been a very good defenseman for them. He's a legitimate second-pairing guy and a good second-pairing guy. So it's nice to see uh, him sort of stepping out from from the shadows, even though his his play had always warranted that kind of attention. Yep. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, the, the goaltending is a little bit of a concern. I mean, Rene is hovering around nine ten right now, I believe, for the for the year, and he was a lot better in February uh, after receiving a lot of ridicule for kind of getting that favorable All Star nomination because it was in his hometown. But uh, if, if I'm a Preds fan, I'm still just a little bit worried because his play has been so uneven. And I guess in theory, every team can be a little bit worried about their goaltending because it's what it's it's a, a four to seven game sample that could potentially do you in or, or win the series for you so it could really go either way so i guess if you're gonna have one issue that's probably not the worst one in the world to have 
Well, and it, I, I always wonder a little bit about goaltending, and uh, you know, we always want to lean on sort of the longer sample size rather than the the hot hand approach. And and Rene's longer sample size is actually pretty good. I know mm. he's had a bunch of down years, mostly because of injury. Um, but I mean, he's a career nine eighteen save percentage goalie. He was a nine twenty three guy last year, and he's he's trending upwards now. So I. I, I do agree it's a concern just because his year has been so bad, but it because of the way he's turned his game around in the last month and a half, I'd uh, I feel a lot more comfortable about Nashville's chances than I did in say middle January. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I like it. I mean, th- that central division is insane, and and let's move on to the Blues oh, because yeah. I feel bad for them, right? Like I I understand they're sort of easy to <laughs> easy to make fun of because um, they just can't seem to get out of their own way come the postseason and they've been in this weird spot for a few years now where they're really good in the regular season and then come playoffs they just run into a complete powerhouse that blows them out of the water and that's not it's not the worst position in the world to be in because like they still have a good team and they're at least giving themselves a chance to be in this discussion but at the same time I mean you look at the Chicago's and the Dallas's and then obviously the two teams in the Pacific Division and I just wonder if they could actually run that gauntlet where they could beat two, three of those teams, and it seems really unlikely at this point. It, it does. Um, I guess the one thing I'd say about St. Louis is their five-on-five uh, five shooting percentage this year is is pretty low. Like, uh, I look at their goal differential. That's sort of my go-to my go-to stat when mm. I, I don't have time to really dig into the numbers. But it's, I think it's a little misleading in the Blues case because um, they don't have a history of being a low shooting percentage club, and they're, I, I think, Bottom, th- they're certainly bottom third in the league, maybe even a little bit lower than that. Right. Uh, and and the the other thing about St. Louis is because of the way things have worked out, they have a chance of winning the Central Division. Mm, and if they win the Central Division, things get a lot easier. Like if you play Minnesota or Colorado in the first round, and then you let Dallas and Chicago kill one of each other off, mm-hmm. suddenly the playoff road doesn't look so tough. Right. I, 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 I'm just making devil's advocate arguments now, because I don't substantially disagree with your point. I, I think they're in a very tough position. But yeah. uh, you, you could see things come together for them, but it, it won't be easy. I mean, they've done an admirable job this year. Just they've been so uh, snake bitten with injuries, right? I mean, uh, Alex Steen going out for this long is obviously a huge blow for them because he's just one of those underrated guys that does every single thing well in the game for them. And and they've injuries with Allen and Elliot kind of alternating, uh, going on the IR. Jaden Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz, yeah, of course. And Petrangelo obviously missed a couple of weeks. And I wonder. I wonder how differently their year would look if they were healthy, only from this perspective. I, I, I think they were a stealth candidate because they are a pretty shrewdly run organization and they realize that they can't really, uh, they have an internal budget. They can't just be, be throwing money around. I wonder if, if they would have potentially, I mean, they were rumored to trade away a guy like Kevin Shattenkirk a year early, sort of like we saw with Yandel, where they could recoup a lot of value and, and maybe they would have been more likely to move a David Backus, who's an impending free agent this summer. But instead, they still were sort of forced to just sit on their hands and, and wait to see how things play out. And that's a tough spot to be in for me because, as we just said, it's pretty unlikely they're actually going to make a long run. And then this summer, they face a lot of interesting questions with guys like Backus and Brower coming up. And obviously, Shattenkirk's now just a year away from free agency, and they probably won't have enough money to retain him. So I'm kind of curious to see uh, if another first-round exit here really kind of forces their hand into making some significant changes this summer. Yeah, they're they're in a very interesting position as a franchise, and uh, I, I think with an early first round exit, though, you definitely 
definitely say, see some of the possible changes this summer accelerated. And, and of course, I think Ken Hitchcock would be in real trouble. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that's really interesting to me about St. Louis is the way their, their blue line is structured because they've got such a like the, that top three on the the right side is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You've got Petrangelo, you've got Shattenkirk, and then Colton Pareko has been tremendous this year. But I, I don't have the same confidence in the left side where, you know, Jay Bomeister, he, uh, Carl Gunnarsson, the, these are not bad players, but right. the, the, the talent falls off dramatically on the, on the port side. So you kind of end up with three defense pairings that can do things for you because each of them has a, has a really good player on it. But I, I don't know if they have um, sort of that one top pairing that, you know, a team like Chicago has. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. Uh, okay, let's do what, the one final team I had in this fringe group, and then we'll move on, and that's the Rangers. And as you mentioned, when you have Henrik Lundqvist, it's the ultimate equalizer back there because he just makes he drags their baseline up so much. Where <laughs> there's a, there's a, just like a certain level of competency they need to hit to actually be competitive, just because he's going to do the rest for them. And we've seen that. I mean, what they made the conference final in three of the past four years, and so you, they've built up some goodwill with us in terms of being patient with them and giving them the benefit of their doubt, but. I have a tough time reconciling their performance this season where it's been incredibly uneven. I mean, you just look at that statistical resume for them as a team and they're right next to the Oilers in terms of possession. And there's a 63 goal swing there. You were mentioning goal differential at five on five. And how does that happen? Well, they're first in the league in shooting percentage and first in the league in save percentage. And <laughs> it's amazing what that sort of, uh, uh, efficiency will do for you in terms of making you look better than you are. But I don't know. Like, what do you make of the year they have? Because I love LA Vino as a coach. I think that he gets a bad rap for maybe being too conservative at times and and he obviously he had sort of a weird falling out of Vancouver but all he all his teams really do is win and he seems to have a good grasp of kind of be a more progressive approach to coaching at the same time he seems to love guys like Tanner Glass and you see like a JT Miller who has all the potential in the world and he plays really well and then he has three or four games where he doesn't do anything. And then all of a sudden he's on the fourth line with uh, Dominic Moore and Tanner Glass. And I'm just like wondering, it seems like everything, the writing on the wall this year hasn't been very positive for them. But as you mentioned, the, the longest factor might just really kind of change everything. Yeah, I, I agree with all the concerns you've raised. Um, I, I do think, I do find Vino's penchant for employing people like Tanner Glass really interesting. Uh, interesting he's, is one he's word the guy. For sure. <laughs> Well, but he he's the guy who who always seems to have room for one or two big wingers on his defensive specialty line. Like I, I think uh some of it there's probably real like if you have him taking defensive zone face offs all the time, you probably want a hard charging winger who can uh you know, just rush the defense after that one face off. Like if you lose the face off, have somebody who can get out to the point in a hurry and uh, put a lot of pressure on him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where he has employed those guys over the years. Um but but yeah, Tanner Glass is not a guy you want <laughs> getting minutes over JT Miller <laughs> in any yeah. situation. You can kinda of outfox yourself there. Yeah. Um my my problem with them is is their defense again. Uh Yandel's been a good addition. But they're kind of reverse St. Louis in that they've got all their strength on the left side. And uh, Dan Girardi's really fallen off the last few years. Um, Dan Boyle's still playing pretty critical minutes for them. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist can do a lot, but if their shooting percentage falls off, and at some point in one of their series that they play, it probably will, you wonder how they get past it. 
Yeah, well, it's it's such a shame too, right? Because imagine this guy. Imagine the light we'd be viewing the Rangers in if you could just swap Dan Girardi for Anton Strawman in this lineup, right? Like that would alleviate <laughs> so many of their concerns if you could just play like twenty to twenty two minutes and give them another effective puck moving option from the back end and not just be such a liability where he's pretty much uh, just a complete anchor to everything Ryan McDonough's doing. It would be it would be so massive, and that that trade off is a realistic one because they basically chose. Girardi over Strawman. Yeah, that's a. Uh, if you're talking about historical what ifs, the last few years, that's yeah. a big one for me. Yeah, it's huge. Okay, um, so the big question here is: Do we put the Penguins in this tier with the Blues, the Predators, and the Rangers? Because initially, when I was kind of formulating this list, I had them in the next bucket with the Ducks and the Lightning as kind of upstar teams that have been playing really, really well lately, but. The Malkin injury just throws such a monkey wrench in this because now so much of the attention can go to Sidney Crosby and they don't really have that second guy to kind of uh, spread the wealth around. Like uh, a good defensive team is just going to send all of their uh, ammunition Crosby's way and it's going to be really tough for the Penguins to generate offense, I feel like, in a seven-game series. Yeah, I think that's a that's a definite concern. Um, to me with Pittsburgh, I, I just... Like Trevor Daly's playing second pair minutes. <laughs> this is this is this is what blows my mind. Yeah. Um, I, I look at the roster and uh, the forwards are undeniably talented. Uh, they've done a lot of good things since uh, the changing behind the bench, but I, I can't get past the idea that you know they're going to lean on Trevor Daly and Justin Schultz and mm. Ian Cole. Like yeah. once you get past that first pairing, what is there there? Um, I, I wonder if if you can handle a seven game series against a team like Washington or Tampa Bay or, or whoever and, and win with that defense uh, setup. And with Malkin out, they don't really have the ability to outscore problems the way they did. I mean, Nick Benino, I do have time for, but uh, the drop off there is hard to understate. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, they definitely play faster brand of hockey kind of team wide and, and they have been playing a lot better under Mike Johnson, but I agree. It's, it's, it's tough to sort of, um, look at their roster and stack it up against some of the other elite Eastern Conference teams and say they're going to be able to hang unless either Marc-Andre Fleury plays out of his mind or Sidney Crosby just has a performance for the ages. Uh, you, you mentioned Justin Schultz, and uh, I know you being an Edmonton guy, you're very familiar with his with his work, uh, the, art, the artist known as Justin Schultz. Um, I guess, what do, you, what do you think about him as a player? Because he seems to be divisive, and I think he, when I say divisive, I mean I don't really think there's any people left that think that he's that guy that he was he was considered to potentially be a few years ago where he was a top prospect and everyone was trying to bring bring him into their system and he had a, he had a really good first year splitting between the AHL and NHL during the lockout what do you, what do you think about him moving forward like do you think he makes for a reasonable cuz he's obviously not going to be brought back at his current qualifying offer figure do you think he's makes for a reasonable kind of low risk third pairing sheltered defenseman moving forward yeah, I think so. Uh, he's he's a guy I have time for. Is like a a number four through six defenseman. Um, number four is probably pretty ambitious, but I, I could see a situation where he played his way up mm-hmm. to that. Uh, his his the, the funny thing about Schultz is he's had a bad offensive year, but his uh, possession numbers have sort of trended upward with time. Um, people look back at that first season, and he was tremendous in the American Hockey League, no question. Uh, when he got to the NHL, he played about 10 good games and then just uh, completely imploded, and he's been 
he's been a problem since. And, and part of the problem is that he's been a number one defenseman in Edmonton when he's really a third pair guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, how many flawed players can survive in a third pairing in the NHL, especially if they're right-shooting defensemen, especially if they do bring some offense to the table? Uh, he's a guy I have time for. Um, the, the guy who pops to mind as sort of a point of comparison is John Moore signing in New Jersey mm, last summer. Yep. Like, I can see a multi-year deal in like the, the $1.5 million range for a team that wanted to take a chance on him. Yeah, well, it's amazing what... Uh, bumping the expectations down like a, what John Moore got somewhere in the one point something range for a few years and obviously if Schultz is kind of playing at that figure all of a sudden the way you view him is, is completely different. I was speaking with someone that works in the league recently and an interesting way to view him came up where let's say as a thought exercise we strip away his name the expectations all that stuff from him and just look at his resume in a vacuum and wouldn't people like you and I be sort of peddling him as a player that can contribute if used the right way and he's been unfairly miscast and kind I've been held down by the way this league operates. Like, it's funny how, like, he could be sort of a TJ Brennan type. It's just that he had all this built up, built up expectations. So we've all kind of knocked him down a peg as a result. Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, and, and I've tried, it, the, the problem you run into with Schultz the last few years is the, um, perception among the people who are running the Edmonton Oilers versus the, reality of his play and mm-hmm. so a lot of the pushback has just been in response to you know Craig McTavish calling him a Norris Trophy potential defenseman or you know saying he could be PK Subban like when when, when you have the people in hockey operations saying that and then you have the coach playing him 22 minutes a night right <laughs> you're gonna get pushback mm-hmm. I, I I think I'd sign him this summer absolutely like if if you need a you know, call him Corey Potter call him uh Philip Larson call him uh, whoever you want, he's a, he's a good bet. Actually, he's a better bet than some of those guys. Yeah. He, he's a good bet on the third pair, and uh, at the right price point, I never have a problem with him. I could definitely see the Devils bringing him in. I mean, uh, they already have like Moore and Schlemko, right? And 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 they have other guys like Green and Larson. But it, it seems like a very Devils thing to do. Although they've got like a zillion uh, zillion decent uh, defensemen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Before we keep going with the show, let me give a quick shout out to the sponsor of today's show, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a godsend for freelancers and small business owners specifically, but really it works for anyone who uh, doesn't want to deal with the time-consuming, cluttered nature of keeping track of all their financial transactions. Its interface is incredibly easy to use, and it'll pretty much do all the work for you. Uh, I think its most handy feature is that it allows you to fire off invoices in a matter of seconds, and it requires just the simple information of who you're sending it to and what you're charging them for. And then after that, it really does all the work. It, uh, it keeps tracks of whether your clients open the invoice and it even goes so far as to remind them if they've fallen behind on their payments. On the other end of the spectrum, it can also keep track of your expenses in one tidy location by importing and categorizing uh, everything you do with your Visa or your debit card directly from your online banking system. You can do all that from your phone or tablet if you choose so. Um, so for those of you that are always running around doing errands and going to meetings, FreshBooks now also has an app that you can download to ensure that you're keeping your business in the palm of your hand. To start the fir- free 30-day trial they're offering to everyone listening to the show, all you've got to do is go to, is go to freshbooks.com slash pdocast and remember to enter pdocast in the how you heard about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash pdocast. 
Okay, um, let's let's move on to the second grouping I have, and this is in no particular order in terms of how I think these teams kind of rack, st- stack up in in a hierarchy. But I think that let's just go with the Ducks first because um, they've seen their stocks skyrocket more than I think any other team in the league in the past what two months now i mean i was looking at their first 10 games and they won one of them and they were averaging a goal a game and they got shut out five times which seems insane to me and instead of kind of overreacting and firing bruce boudreau and completely changing the way they approach the game they took a more kind of they took a step back uh let things even out actually credit to boudreau and his staff they obviously made a more concerted effort to adopt more of an la king style game because they realized that they were just in shooting percentage purgatory and they weren't going to score enough goals so they really kind of tightened their game up defensively and i like what they've done a lot obviously they've been the hottest team in the league i'm wondering would we have liked to see them do something a little bit more at the deadline? Because they brought in guys like Peary and McGinn and they shipped out Patrick Maroon and they were all sort of kind of tinkering on the margins, but they had a few chips there with their young defensemen, both at the NHL level and in the AHL and a guy like Frederick Anderson, who's an impending RFA. Like they have a lot of decisions to make this summer. Would you have liked to see them potentially kind of make more of an all in move to really try and put them over the top? Or do you think that they're good enough that that might not even really matter? Um, Sort of both. Uh, (laughs) I, I don't, (laughs) <laughs> we'll see what happens once uh, Peary gets healthy and returns to the lineup. I don't know that Jamie McGinn is a better player for them than Patrick Maroon would have been. Right. Like I know Maroon was having a tough year, but I don't know if that's an upgrade or not. I, and that's with due respect to McGinn. They're just both pretty decent complimentary, you know, uh, middle six wingers. Um, I, I wrote a piece about Anaheim at the start of February and uh, I was just looking at their, their score adjusted Fenwick rating. In October, they ranked 27th in the league, 46.5%. November, it was third in the league at 54.5%. And then in December and January, they were over 57%, which was first in the league even ahead of LA. Mm. So they're a team that does all the things these days. Like they've kind of reversed themselves from the team that had, you know, the high shooting percentage and middling possession numbers, and you couldn't count them out, but they weren't a team you liked from an analytics perspective to a point now where they are an analytics darling yes. in, in a lot of different ways. Um, to me, they're a legitimate contender. Uh, I, Kessler has had more in the tank this year than I thought he was going to after a couple of fairly disappointing seasons, uh, moving Perry and Getzlaff to different lines, I think has been a smart decision. It's, it's diversified their offense. It's made matchup problems for the coaches and it's allowed those guys to, to build up complimentary players. Um, David Perron has been a fantastic fit there. Uh, and, and their defense, they, their defense is really good. Mm. I, I like, I like everything about the team, really. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, you know, the fact that they're, they're big and tough gets talked up a lot. But this is, this is just a very good team, even taking away the size element. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, the, the 180 they've, they've done as a team, as you mentioned, it, it makes for a really compelling story, right? Because uh, just a few years ago, they nearly beat the LA Kings. And I feel like everyone in, in sort of the community of, I don't want to even say analytics, people that were just kind of looking at the numbers were saying that, like, the Kings are a way better team. They're going to wipe the floor with the Ducks. And I remember the Ducks went up 
early in that series and they had the 3-2 lead and I remember being like oh my god this is going to be really bad for our case if the Ducks win this series because we've been all just kind of uh, parroting that the, the, the Kings are a substantially better team and and the Kings finally won out and then now flash forward a couple of years and they really seem to be sort of trying to out LA Kings the Kings like they're playing a very similar brand of hockey and their resumes look very very similar especially uh, in the second half of the season and I I don't know I, I, the thing that I like about them is we saw it last night uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday I think it's an air on a Thursday but we saw this on Monday night when they just absolutely steamrolled the Devils and they sort of played that style of hockey where they can kind of play downhill in a hurry where once they get going they can really kind of pour it on and just make you wish that you were if you're the other team make you wish that you were in any other building other than the one you're currently in having to play that against them and i don't know playing against them in a series would seem like a pretty scary proposition because of that yeah and it's uh they're one of those teams that really makes you wonder about um well, they make you wonder about a lot of things, but but to me, they they, they want, make me wonder about shot quality because mm. uh, Bruce Boudreaux had some interesting comments in the past. Um, I can't remember what he exactly what he said, but he, I mean, this this Anaheim won the division three years in a row. Uh, two years ago, they came really close to beating the Kings. Last year, they came really close to beating the Blackhawks. I, I know Chicago had injury issues, but even so, and uh, to this year, you know, the shooting percentage fell off the face of the earth in the first month of the year. And, you know, all the chickens sort of came home to roost. And I think that to me, I think you can win with shooting percentage, but the problem is that at some point it's going to abandon you and then uh, and you're in real trouble yes. and you, you can do things to encourage shooting percentage, but it's still going to abandon you at some point. Yeah. Um, so the, this transition I think is a healthy thing for them. And the thing that it really speaks to to me is Bruce Boudreaux's uh, versatility and quality as a coach. Mm. Uh, this is a guy who has never been known for being able to coach, you know, a, a defensive style of game. And Anaheim went uber defensive for a little bit before sort of uh, building up to where they are now. And uh, I, I think Bob Murray deserves, and the ownership too, frankly, because a lot of times ownership seems to meddle in these things. They deserve a ton of credit for saying, no, we've got a good coach we're going to stick with him and uh, see where it goes yeah no for sure um all right the other team i have in this bucket in a similar vein and i think I, I like the ducks more than them but they've also been uh building up here as the year has gotten going and it's the lightning and it feels like they've flown a little bit under the radar because of all the Stamkos Drouin drama, drama taking up most of the headlines. But in the meantime, they've really stabilized their play after an uneven start to the year. And they've been playing significantly better. And I think Tyler Johnson coming back healthy and reuniting that triplets line and having them just terrorize people is, is huge for them because that's obviously when their teams as a whole is at its best. And Stamkos hasn't really looked like the dominant scoring force that we'd become accustomed to seeing but it might not matter because this team does have a lot of depth and their blue line isn't particularly great but in the playoffs maybe they can mask a lot of those concerns by just playing Hedman and Straubman 25-26 minutes in each of those games and and kind of cutting down the exposure to other guys and I don't know what do you think about their chances come playoffs well I, I like Anaheim better than Tampa Bay too mm-hmm. but I certainly prefer Tampa Bay's um, potential road to the Stanley Cup Finals over Anaheim's. Yes. Like it's going to be a lot easier to come out of the Atlantic than out of either 
if you are a, an NHL team, you want to be in the Atlantic division this year. Mm-hmm. That is the place to be. Um, they've got at their best, they have three scoring lines. We've seen them sort of uh, shrink down to two scoring lines in the playoffs last year at times. I, I actually don't mind their defense, but uh, like to me, guys like Garrison and Coburn are, reasonable second unit guys and if you've got Strawman and Hedman on the top pair you can get away with a lot but it's it's interesting to me John Cooper uh, doesn't seem to like to load up his um, top defense pairing and and just you know play the life out of them he, right. he seems to to stretch to seven defensemen and you know everybody's playing like 20 minutes um, the, I actually think Victor Hedman might have had a compelling Norris trophy case this year if he was playing 25 minutes a night, but right. he's, he's, he's nowhere near what other top defensemen play. Mm-hmm. I, I, they, they went to the Stanley cup finals last year. They seem to have kind of got back to that level of play. They're not a team you can count out. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I think the interesting question for them spinning it forward is, is there a certain way the rest of this season can play out, particularly in the playoffs that either dramatically increases or decreases the chances Stamkos comes back this summer? Or do you think that's already been decided and the string's really just being played out here and it won't really matter? Oh, yeah. I, you kind of get that. I kind of get that impression when I read media reports. I, I don't have, you know, any real firsthand knowledge of, uh, of the Stamkos situation beyond what's been reported, but it, it really does sort of feel like that's done. Um, Yep. Tampa Bay's. I, I feel bad for Tampa Bay, honestly, because they, they've had so much off ice drama the last few years. You had San Luis, you have Druan, you have Stamkos, and it. They seem like a really smart, well-run organization, but they they keep having these issues where uh, players don't want to stay there. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if uh, maybe we shouldn't feel that bad for them because maybe they're doing something to cause that. I don't know. It, it, it seems like <laughs> well, that's the common you, denominator. You leave Marty San Luis off. <laughs> You leave Money St. Louis off the Olympic team, I guess. I, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Okay, uh, let's move on to the third pairing. And I think that, uh, third grouping, I should say. And I have one team in this tier. And it's just because they could really conceivably fit into any of these teams we mentioned. And I would listen to that argument. That's Dallas Stars. They're just the wild card in, in every sense of the word. And I don't know, does any team have a wider range of possible outcomes? Like when they get going... There is fun a team to watch, and they can score as well as anyone. But then I watch a game like this past weekend. They were playing the Blues, and they dominate the Blues, and they're out shooting them, and they're playing really well at home. And Antiniemi just lets in a couple soft goals, and and they wind up losing in overtime. And I wouldn't trust their ability to keep enough pucks out of their own net to actually wind up going really far in the playoffs. But the they have such an overwhelming. Uh, like level of talent up front and they can reach such a high level as a team that I guess anything's really possible with them. So you're saying that Chris Russell on the top defense pairing has not alleviated your defensive concerns about Dallas. It hasn't. <laughs> no, it definitely hasn't. Although it does sound like John Klingberg will be back at some point, which is, it's huge. Of course, obviously if he's out that's, and, that's and Jason Demers. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're a team that right now their blue line is, is so beat up. It's hard to get a fair read on, on what they're going to be like in the first round, but I, I completely agree because they have a forward core that uh, honestly, it's second to none in the league in terms of top end talent and, uh, and depth, like the combination, very few teams can compete. I, I don't know if there's a team that's better, yeah. but the, the defense concerns me. And I mean, even healthy, the defense is a by committee operation and, and um, 
prone to being exposed by teams that have high-end offense, and the goaltending is extremely concerning. Uh, Niami was an odd move last summer, and he has not... I mean, I could. See, it's funny. I can see a situation where Dallas wins the Stanley Cup. I can see a situation where they're swept in the first round. <laughs> yeah, that, that, there's that. If the goaltending implodes, yeah, yeah, yeah well, exactly. And then I, I know people are. Some people might find this hard to believe because they they seem to think that I hate their team all the time, and and everyone kind of gets that. Uh, but I, I I don't have any horse in this race. I I just want to see the stars put together a string of wins come playoffs and and go far just because a obviously entertaining hockey and and it'll be just fun to watch but kind of tangentially i think it's good for the league because there's this sort of stigma where come playoff time you need to play a certain way you need to play defensively physically to to get by and I wonder if, if the Stars show sort of a blueprint here um, for winning the way they're playing, whether more teams might be likely to adopt it. Now, of course, not everyone's going to have the luxury of having a Jamie Benn and, and Tyler Sagan to play with up front, but it, there's a few things that a lot of teams could definitely glean from their game to make the overall NHL product more fun. I will say that, I, yeah. Sorry, I, I was uh, I was just interjecting. I, I don't think it happens. I mean, I think Dallas could win four cups in a row, and and it wouldn't happen. <laughs> and and I say that because Chicago has been the best team in the NHL over the last yeah, five true. ten years, and I, it's you ha- they have their top three defensemen, or geez, was it three of their top four defensemen were under six foot two, two hundred pounds, like. And you, but you still hear you need size on the back end. Uh, their forwards are not particularly big. They're one of the smallest teams in the league. Yeah. And you tell people this, and people say, "Well, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are special, and that changes things." And and it's the same. It would be the same thing if Dallas wins. They'll say, "Well, Jamie Ben's a big guy, and uh, him and Sagan are special. You can't compare them to other teams." So it, it's it's one of those things where I think the entrenched mentality is too strong. And, and the other thing is. Power plays go away in the postseason. People get away with a lot more physical aggression, so people assume you have to play a grinding physical style to win, and scoring goes down in large... I mean, I know it goes down anyway, but in large part because power plays go away. Mm. And uh, I I think you're going to have a lot of... Until that changes, I think it's going to be hard to overcome the sort of entrenched thinking that if you don't look like the LA Kings, you can't win. Yeah, no, you make fair points. I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna choose to be optimistic here and hope that we'll be able to change <laughs> as a, as a community. But no, you make, you make fair, fair points. I think that the, the thing with the stars, I mean, you meant, we mentioned the goaltending. I think they're ranked 26 right now at, at, they had like right around a 900 save percentage. And it's crazy to me considering they're spending more money on the position than any, any other team. And I kind of went back and as a thought exercise looked at, the the track record of the conference finalists since 2005 to see what kind of play they had in net and there's only five teams since then that have had a worse save percentage uh the 0506 oilers which i'm sure you're familiar with the 2010 2011 lightning and both those teams uh share the common feature that they have both acquired Dwayne Rollis in midseason and while he wasn't great by any means he was a significant improvement about what they were trotting out earlier yeah, it, it, those are um, in Dallas. You're basically hoping that one of your established guys turns it around. I, I think to me, the the best way to explain Dallas this season is just to look at the even strength save percentage. They're right behind Montreal in, in even strength save percentage, hmm. and uh, Montreal's imploded entirely. Dallas, you know, is in could win their division. Yeah. 
Well, and, and one of the other teams on that list was the 0809 Red Wings, who had Chris Osgood, and he had like an 880 save percentage or something like that. And the team was just so good in front of him that the other opposition really never just had the puck, so it ultimately didn't matter. But I guess that might be their blueprint. I don't think this team is as good as that Red Wings team, but it sort of speaks to that they might just be able to outscore their problems. Um Let's so let's move on to the final grouping here, and I think there's three teams that go into this class, and they're not necessarily the same based on kind of the the track record they have and the clout they have in the postseason, but they had they sort of have a, a relative level of they've just had the same year in the sense that they've been winning a lot of games and they have haven't had that much turmoil and i think the first team that goes in that group is the capitals who have just run away with the metro division and the east as 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 a whole and i think the question i have for you to start this off is is this the best capitals team that they've put together from top to bottom since ovechkin came into town i i think so i mean the the emergence this year of evgeny kuznetsov has uh and and combined with a bunch of stuff they did over the summer, like that, there there isn't a flaw with this team. <coughs> oh, sorry, excuse yeah, me. That's okay. um, yeah, the the only thing I look at Washington and I don't see any serious concerns at any level. Um, I might like to see just a touch more scoring from their fourth line, but we're really quibbling there. Right. The only thing that bothers me about Washington is the way Braden Holtby's play has fallen off the last mm. few months. Yeah. Yeah, no, it has for sure. Right, I I think that um, I'm I'm not that worried about it. I, th- I think that he's a really good goalie, and I think that ultimately he'll he'll turn around. But it definitely is kind of concerning that he was running away with the Vesna for a while there, and then all of a sudden now he's really come back down to the pack. Uh, the other question I had for you is, and maybe you answered this sort of with your take on how the Stars winning wouldn't really change, wouldn't change a fundamental thought process for people. Do you think that? If the Capitals won the Cup this year and Ovechkin wins the Conn Smythe, do you think that people would finally stop with this whole xenophobic thing about how he, you know, he's he's lazy and he's enigmatic because he's Russian? Or do you think that they'd kind of keep up with that, but they just sort of shift it to being like, well, Barry Trotz should actually get the most of the credit here because he really changed the way Ovechkin's playing playing his game? I do think he'd get a lot of uh, uh, Barry Trotz fixed Alex Ovechkin <laughs> storylines. Um I do think it would change perceptions of Ovechkin because the guy who kind of comes to mind, and not that they're the same player, but is is Brett Hull. And and there used to be a thing, you you couldn't win with Brett Hull, and then Brett Hull won in Dallas, and oh, hey, Brett Hull's a great player. Mm. I mean, he was always a great player, but it it did change perceptions of him, I think. And I I think the same would be true of Ovechkin. Um, the, The one problem, I think, with Ovechkin in recent years is he is, I mean, he's so good at so many things, but his real, real bread and butter is is as a pure goal scorer and as a, a particularly on the power play. And you know, if you're relying on that as a key piece of your offense, it's hard to win in a series where you don't get calls. Uh, so, so that um, oh, excuse me again. Um, sorry, I just got a bit of a bug here. Um, that, that's that's one of those things that uh, has has been hard to overcome in years past. And because his scoring tends to drop off in the playoffs you know, probably due to no fault of his own, um, he gets unfairly slagged with this label. And, and he, he just draws the, the same sort of, it's a little bit like Joe Thornton in San Jose, where the, the leading cast member um, becomes the personification of the playoff failures of a franchise. So I, I think a cup win would actually substantially alter the perception of Ovechkin. Hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, and the final teams are the Blackhawks and the Kings, of course. And I guess the question here is, uh, I think we both agree that the Kings and Ducks are, are destined for a second round matchup where they're just going to beat the crap out of each other. Is it an, an inevitability that the Western Conference final is going to roll around and it's going to be the Blackhawks just sitting there waiting for whoever comes out of that series and then we'll see another grueling six or seven game series between them and, and that and that team? I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a given. Um, it's certainly possible. Uh, Chicago did something really essential at the trade deadline, which was shore up their their depth forwards. Because, I mean, it's sort of the the dirty little secret in the league that uh, Chicago's depth has not been good at all this year. They're actually below. I mean, forget about. Not that their advanced stats are particularly flattering at five on five but they're actually below 50% goal differential. They get outscored five on five this season. Mm. And um, we sort of just miss it because Kane's having such a good year and the team's doing so well overall. And uh, Corey Crawford's having such a good year, but this is a team that has been heavily reliant on special teams. Um, You never want to write them off because they have such good, such, such history and they have, uh, excuse me, they've, they've really, done a lot to shore up their weaknesses, but they are a team that I, I think could be vulnerable and, and might be a little bit overrated entering the postseason. Um, again, I, I say that with, with tremendous respect for what the team has accomplished, but uh, at 5-on-5 five five this year, they have not been a particularly good hockey team, and unless that changes, they're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you mentioned the trades, and at the time of them, I believe Jonathan Taze was playing with Richard Panic and, and Andrew Shaw, which was remarkable to me, because that would be like a average third line, I think. So the fact that they were able to get Taze some legitimate wing, wing help definitely is huge for them. But no, I, I agree. I think that Kane's made a, a lot of their issues go away in terms of scoring, and and Corey Crawford's been remarkable this year. He's quietly been just pretty much since the start of the year in that top five discussion for the Vesna with the Holtbys and the Mrazics and the Lundquist, and and it, it's tough, right? You're trying to find that balance where I've seen them turn it up in the playoffs and be incredibly successful for so many years now that I'm really kind of cautious of just writing them off, but they do look very vulnerable and at some point not to say that you know they're going to completely fall apart and we're we're not going to see this incarnation of the team ever make it deep in the playoffs again but just like that time when they lost in the first round to Arizona Coyotes and they lost in the first round to the Vancouver Canucks like sometimes this stuff is a little bit cyclical and you can't just keep making the Western Conference final and the final every single season and it's it's I guess it's very possible that a team like the Blues or the Stars could be primed for a second round upset against them this year or maybe even a first round depending on how that central division plays out. Yeah, that's um that that's pretty much encapsulates my feelings exactly. They're a team that you really respect, and uh, you've seen them win the Stanley Cup with four defensemen. Period. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's impossible to write off what they've done. Um, it's but but at the same time, they are a team to me that it wouldn't shock me to see them lose in the first or second round. I'd mm-hmm. be surprised, but it wouldn't shock me just because they have been vulnerable five on five. Yeah. True. Uh, okay, and and the Kings. Um, I guess this, this is the main question. Did you? It, who are you picking in a series right now between them and the Ducks? Um, and let it's me just definitely find going. A coin it's here definitely going seven games, right? Yeah, it's the, the thing about the Kings that drives me batty is um, who they 
like to play with Drew Doughty, but uh, other than that, they're they're you can't sleep on the Kings. I mean, and the Kings the Kings do play a playoff style game, and a lot of people say that with reference to their size and physical play, and, and that's true. But um, when I say it, I mean it more. They are a dominant five on five puck possession team, and they will outshoot you, and eventually they generally win because of it. Uh, they don't rely on shooting percentage. They rely on just dominating the play. And so they, they sort of excel at those grinding 2-1 hockey games that uh, too often seem to sort of dominate the postseason. The Ducks the, the Ducks and the Kings are, are really a coin toss to me. If you, if you I, I mean, I'd have to really <laughs> dig into it. And then even then, I'd probably tell you, well, this team's 53% chance of winning and this team's 47. Like, it's really close. Yeah. No, there's going to be seven, two, one, or three, two games where there's like seventy-five shots on goal combined, and and uh, a lot of a lot of physicality, a lot of uh, no, it's going to be great. There's a ton of talent there, of course. Obviously, the size is going to get a lot of attention, as you mentioned in 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 some circles. But there's an immense amount of talent on both those teams, and it'd be remarkable to watch them kind of grind it out for seven games. Um, Jonathan, people can follow you on Twitter at Jonathan Willis, and. Um, Look for your writing at pretty much, I guess, every single platform on the internet. <laughs> uh, too, that's too kind. Uh, yeah, but uh, at Jonathan Willis is the place, and I tweet out links to pretty much all my articles there. Excellent. All right, man. We'll, uh, we'll make sure to get you back on as we get closer to the playoffs. Absolutely. Thanks again. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. <laughs>